0: services. I appreciate your presence very much. Last week, Brother Danny talked to us about some principles that as Christians we can stand on and that we can relate to and that we can have comfort in and that we can rely on. He used his, uh, his daughter Laura as an example, and he said you can look at the library that she has that she reads. And it was an impressive library that she uh, reads to try to help herself be better, and I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about, you know, what does my library say about me? And so I went home, and of course, most of my library, as you guys know, is packed up and in storage right now, those were between uh, houses, but I looked at the library at work, and I could relate to the library that I had at home. I knew what was on the shelf, and I got to thinking about, what do those books tell me? What does that tell me as a story? And for me, what I figured out was, it's it's for me, it's all about self-improvement. I don't read for fun. I don't think reading is fun. You now, my My daughter does. She reads a lot, and she reads a lot of stuff for fun, but I'm not wired that way. I read to improve myself or to improve my business or to learn something or to figure out how to do something. I read a lot of how-to books. And I got to thinking, what makes me like that? And I got to thinking about six years ago at work, we did personality profiles. And what that allowed me to do as a business owner is to look into the people that I work with and figure out how I can better work with them. This guy's very, uh, you know, very dominant, got a very dominant personality. This guy's a team player. This person likes to have a lot of detail. This person doesn't care anything about details. This person's got a lot of drive. This person's a craftsman that likes to take his time and really make something that looks pretty. Has a lot of quality built in not only did that allow me to start thinking about the people that I worked with, but as I learned how to read those profiles, I learned a lot about personalities, and I began to look at mine, right? As as you learn more and more about personalities and how people are wired, you can start to see yourself, and I think that comes with some maturity, too, because as I was growing up, I didn't much care about the wakes that the boat was
1: leaving in the lake. As I plowed through, I didn't care about, you know, the other boats that were in the slip that were rocking against me. It didn't matter to me, because it was all about me, right? I I was wired that way. But as I got older, I got to looking deeper, and I got to thinking about, hey,
0: I affect other people in the way I act. And so I got to working on improving myself. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, not so much in the way of Proving yourself in business or making yourself a better leader, but I want to look at making ourselves better Christians because I believe we're called to do that. I believe when we think about this entitled The Lesson of the Morning: Moving from Milk to Solid Food. And we're going to talk through a lot of different verses and a lot of different scriptures this morning. I want to start with the church in Laodicea. Most of us recognize that term from that story. But in Revelation chapter 3.
1: When we think about this church of Laodicea, the Bible says, And to the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the
0: creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I become wealthy and need nothing. Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed, and anoint your eyes your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So as a disclaimer, I recognize that we are busy people. I recognize that all of us are busy. The thing that I would like for us to think about this morning is, what are we busy doing? Right? I don't, I don't think we're lukewarm. I think we're hot after stuff, or we're hot after this. or we're, I'm not saying that we're lukewarm, except maybe when it comes to our spiritual life. And so I want us to kind of think about that very openly and honestly with ourselves this morning. I'm not, I'm not trying to be accusatory, but I think that if we took an honest evaluation, if we honestly inventory where we spend our time on a given week, given month, given year, that we would be disappointed in ourselves. This is me talking about me. We would be disappointed in ourselves when we figure the percentage of time that we spend either moving towards being more like that, obviously, by being in His Word and all the things that we need to do as Christians. So we'd be disappointed with that journey, especially when we compare ourselves to Christ. It's easy to compare ourselves to the world and go, well, I'm in church three times a week or twice a week or whatever it is, I'm in Bible studies and I'm doing some things, and none of the guys at work are doing that, so I'm pretty good. That's not the comparison. That's not our milestone. That's not our litmus paper. That's not what we're comparing to. We're comparing to Christ and His expectations for us. So, when you look at the uh, sheep and the goat and the goats in Matthew chapter 25, and I don't, I don't want to read all of this. Some people asked me this week, hey, what would we read in preparation for the sermon on Sunday? And I, and I gave them this, this passage. But I think all of us are probably familiar with this passage, right? It's where... It's where the Lord talks about these two groups of people, the sheeps and the goats. And he talks about that in reference to being strangers and you
1: took me not in and naked and sick and imprisoned. So he talks about how we did
0: or did not minister to these groups of people that are in need. And he said the sheeps did it and the goats did And the sheeps get rewarded and the goats And so as I read these passages and I think about the Laodiceans and I think about the sheep and the goat and I think about the way Jesus walked through in his ministry, I start thinking about this need to be more of an active Christian. This need to be more involved in the things that are going on. In Luke chapter 8, there's an interesting parable. It says, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell on the wayside and was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and it choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we've heard this parable, those that have been in the church hundreds of times probably have read it hundreds of times. So you know the rest of the story. So this might be a little bit difficult, but I want you to put yourself. It says, These multitudes had come. So there's there's hundreds of thousands and hundreds or thousands of people around Christ. And he gets up and he says this parable to them. He says, Some guy went out and sowed, and some of it fell on the road, some of it fell in the bar ditch, some of it fell in the thorns, and some of it fell on good ground. This stuff over here didn't work too well. This stuff sprung up hundredfold. You have ears to hear. Listen to that. It's important. Just and That's it. I don't know that he walked away, turned away, just quit talking or whatever, but there's a break here. We'll see that in the next verse. He quits addressing the multitude. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That says this is important. Hope you got it. And that's all he said. So as Christians, what do we do with that? What does that mean to us? So is that what we do on Sunday, right? We get we come to church. We listen to 20 or 30 minutes of God's Word. We listen to somebody talk about it. We go, good story. Walk out. Boy, well, those are Cowboys are playing. And we start going about our daily business and shuffling about and kind of moving on. Now the rest of this story is that there were some guys there that were different. Right? There was a guy. So those were his apostles. uh, uh, Those were his disciples. It says, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And then he goes on and he explains, that we're talking to see is the word of God, he explains the parable to them. But there was a group of people that had a different ambition. They had a different thinking. Those were his disciples. And they come walking up and like, go, well, Hey, what do you mean? You have years What do you mean about this deal about sowing and reaping? Everybody knows that. But what does it mean to me? They dug into God's Word. It was important to them. What the Master had to talk and what the Master had to say
1: was vital. It was important enough to them that when he quit talking or turned
0: away or walked away or whatever he did, they came up to him and said, what do you mean by that? Now he says here that, hey, for some people it's important that they know, and for some they're just not going to get it. I, it seems to me that he's like, hey, don't waste your fertilizer on the road. Don't waste your fertilizer on the, the wayside. Don't waste your fertilizer in the thorns. I'm going to work with the people that are willing to work, that are willing to take the extra step to come to me and say, hey, what did you mean? What does it mean? How do I up. How do I learn more about God's word? Those are the ones that Christ was interested in. I don't think that gives us necessarily a, a, a way out. But for Christ, what was important to him were the people that wanted, that desired the sincere hope of the word. They wanted that extra. I think that's what is important to us. So this Christian life that we're supposed to be living is an active life It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us in Hebrews. It tells us that we wrestle, that's a physical activity, against principalities and powers in Ephesians. Paul says he fought a good fight. It tells us in the the story that we just looked at in Matthew 25, that we are to minister to the people that need help. This isn't a couch potato Christianity. That's, That's what I got out of it. Now that hurts me because I like to be accountable, right? But when I started taking inventory of my time, it started to hit me pretty hard that man, I need to be up and about and doing more than I already do. And that's the point of the sermon this morning. I'm not trying to you know beat you up, and I'm just trying to tell you that that the Christ wants us to do stuff for Him. He wants us to be involved in our Christian life. And you might ask yourself why, right? Because that's always something that, uh, that's always for me, the kind of the crux to the matter. If somebody's trying to get me to do something, there's usually going to have to be an explanation of why. Now, if my boss tells me to do something that's legal, ethical, moral, all those things, I'm going to do it. But I might ask him why, if I don't understand it, if it doesn't make sense to me. Why and I think we as Christians are the same way. I, I think that can get to almost be a, a sinful thing. When, when you know, Christ has asked us to do something, if we don't understand the reason why, we probably still need to do it. We do still need to do it. We rephrase that. We do still need to do it, even if we don't understand it. Because Christ asks asked us to do some stuff that may not be explainable in this world. But this question of why is something that I think is important to us. And I think, you know, it's not because, you know, God's mad at us if we're just sitting around going through life enjoying it. He's not mad at us for that. It doesn't hurt his feelings. So why is it important to God? I think this is answered in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 we get another story. In verse number twenty-four it says, Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock.
1: But everyone who hears these things of mine and does them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat
0: on the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. I don't know why because it's clear, but for a long time, I didn't get it that the rains came and the floods descended and these winds blew and they beat upon both houses, right? Even the house that's founded on Christ, even the house that's on a firm foundation, went through the same trials, temptations. So I've thought for a long time, hey, I've built my house on a firm foundation or whatever. You know, I'm immune to the temptations and the trials, but that's not what it teaches at all. Those things came on both houses. And you see, the reason it's important to Christ that we develop our Christian life is because the storms are coming. They are coming for every Christian, for every Christian home. Trials, temptations, and storms are coming. Whether it's for the home or... Individually, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. So I, I hesitate to insert a joke here, but I heard a guy one time say that he wanted to prove that the human body could withstand the winds of a class four hurricane. Someone heard this joke from, right? and so he was going to strap himself to a tree to prove that the body, the human body, could withstand 150 mile an hour class. That's a class four hurricane. I don't know. Anyway, bunch of wind. And the point of the joke was it's not that the wind is blowing, it's what the wind is blowing. If you get hit upside the head with a two by four flying 150 miles an hour, it's not going to matter. That you can withstand the winds, you're going to be dead. It's not a matter if the storms are coming, it's when they're coming. You're going to face those trials and those temptations. So, build your house on a firm foundation grow from milk to strong food. Get yourself prepared. The Lord wants you to do that, not because He's mad if you don't, not because you hurt your feelings if you don't, but because He loves you and because He wants you to be ready when those trials and those situations. That's the one. And Satan, the adversary, is walking around. We know that. Brother Danny talked about that last week. He's a roaring lion. He's coming after us. We're going to be tempted and tried. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 it is a great blessing to us all. And I spent a lot of time with that this week. Michael just, and I just smiled because we've been emailing back and forth. they have been talking to some other people. I had some misunderstandings about 1 Corinthians 13 early in the week, or not really misunderstandings, but just some questions about it. But 1 Corinthians 13 gives us three Great promises about our temptations and trials. It tells us, number one, that we're not individually going to face anything that is not common to man. So the Lord is not going to allow Satan to come down and tempt Dusty any different than he has tempted other people, or Yancey, or any one of you. Every temptation that we face, every trial that we face, is going to be something that's common to man. People have been it before That's number one. So that's a little bit of a comfort. The second part of that is that He is not going to allow us to be tempted above that which we can bear individually. We are not going to be tempted above what we individually are capable of bearing. That's a great blessing. That says that Jesus knows you like he He knows every hair on your head. And He recognizes that whatever temptation and trial that He allows Satan to give you, are strong enough to overcome it. That's huge. If we have faith in that promise that says, well, let me grow and let me be that Christian that I need to be. The third part of that is, he says, I'll give you a way of escape. I'll give you a way out. Now, that's a choice. There's a lot of people that say with those three things mean that once you're saved, you can never be lost. The way out can be a sinful way out, and the way out can be a godly way out. He's going to give you a godly way out. It's up to you to choose that way out of that temptation and that trial. So that's a beautiful thing that says, hey, let's grow, let's be a Christian, because we're going to face these temptations and these trials. And the more that we face them, the stronger we're going to be. And we've got great faith that our Father is with us right there at our side, controlling. what now? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need someone teach you again the first principle, of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the right in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of abuse have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So what it tells us here is the way we move from milk to strong food, the way we get to be, is through exercise, right? We all know what exercise is. It's a repetitive movement of a muscle to build that muscle up and make it stronger. That's what exercise is. And he says that's what you have to do. You've got to exercise spiritually to make yourself a stronger Christian. That's my call for it as we think about this sermon the next week
1: is, what can I do spiritually to exercise
0: myself? Brother Truman Teal, many of you will recognize that right at the top, well. Brother Truman did this for a number of years. It's a, a lot of sermons. This is one of my favorites. He talks about there's 168 hours in every week. How do you use he did this in a much longer, but I'm going to abbreviate it. Let's say we sleep eight hours a week. Let's say we work 50 hours a week. Let's say that it takes us two hours every time we sit down to eat. To eat. That's, those are terrible, huge, exaggerated numbers. That leaves us 32 hours a week of discretionary time. Now, some of you are going to say, I work more than that. My daughters are going to tell you I sleep more than that. But if you're working more, you're probably sleeping less sleeping less, you probably, if you're sleeping more, you're probably working less. There's some gives and takes there. Most of us don't sit down on average two hours at every meal. There's a huge give there. So I'm telling you that if you go home, and this is one of those personal inventories that you can take, and you look at your life in a given week, you're going to find 30 hours, roughly, of discretionary time that you're choosing to do something with. And I'm just saying, let's move some of it. Obviously, I don't have to have church up there. So you've got three hours for church or four, or you've got Bible studies. You've got, you got some other stuff around the church. I know that. But I'm just saying there's some huge numbers there, the wall big numbers. There's some huge numbers there that say we've got some discretionary time to do something with. The honest confession, I come home, I get home about 7, I go to bed about 10, there's 3 hours, that's 15 hours. Right there every night that I've got something to do with. Just right off the board. I'm not even to the weekend yet. Fifteen hours. Now, we've got a Bible study that we go Wednesday nights in that time, and there's lesson prep time and there's study time. But there's fifteen hours there of real quick, discretionary time. What am I doing with those fifteen hours on a given night every week? Think about that. Do that exercise. So how can we reprove? If we're going to grow, we need to eat. Obviously, obviously, feasting on. We need to be feasting on the Bible. If we're going to grow, we need to breathe. That's a prayer life. That's a good prayer life. That's talking. Just like we need air to breathe, we need a constant communication. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That means be in constant communication with our Lord. It's not just in the morning when I get up and at night maybe when I go to bed and three times a day. It's have a constant prayerful attitude. Be in constant communication, no different than you're constantly breathing with your Lord. Spiritual hygiene, confession of sins. And so, you know, we've all, a, a lot of us have, you know, we've come to the front of a church and we've said, we've confessed that we're sinners and that we believe in Jesus and we've been baptized and our sins have been forgiven and we're walking the Christian life. But a lot of us don't take full advantage of this. And that is through prayer or through communication with other Christians. The opportunity to get rid of the sins and the guilt that are associated with them off of us through prayer or through prayer with our friends I will tell you that's powerful if you've got a sin that's bothering you talk to Jesus about it help him tell him to help you talk to another brother and sister about it get rid of those sins confess those sins in order to grow we need to um, we need a caring family and that's the beautiful thing about amstry I, I Um, We're going to have a garage sale Saturday out here. Several members of the church are bringing their stuff. Danielle and her family are going to uh, sing some music, and we're going to have a garage sale. There's opportunities to come and be involved with your fellow brothers and sisters at that meal next Saturday. There's opportunities in midweek Bible studies to be involved with your brothers and sisters. So fellowship. Fellowship. In order to grow, we need regular exercise and getting out there and doing those things that Matthew 25 was talking about. In order to grow, we need protection. That's from those temptations that Corinthians talks to us about. saying, you know, this can be overwhelming. It was for me. But let's just take one thing this next week, maybe this next month. Let's just say, hey, I I know, as I've
1: taken some physical inventory, as you've been talking this morning, that um, my prayer life needs
0: to be better. Let's just work on that this week, or this month. And when we get that, where we think, that's a little bit better, let's pick something else. Let's work on it. You know, we can only do what we can do. Uh, you know, Sister Danielle, she's, she's, she's not a, she's not someone that's just got a ton of money, but she and her family have got a lot of talent. They said, how can I help the Brotherhood meeting? Well, I can I can come up here and I can sing and I can use my talent I can use my time I can put on a garage sale and I can donate those proceeds for the Brotherhood meeting to help the church put that on. God bless her. I think that's awesome. We all have those opportunities to do things to help our churches in the area of service and stewardship. So moving forward, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of a statue stature of the fullness of Christ. And we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, doctrine but by, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto Him which is the Head Christ. So that's our, that's our goal. That's my call this morning is that let's let's uh, Pay less attention to what's going on in the world. Let's pay more attention to our spiritual lives, and let's pay more attention to us moving forward and growing to be more like Christ. Epaphras. Epaphras was a bond servant, a laborer in the church at Colossae, and I think had been sent to help the Apostle Paul, and may even have been imprisoned with him in Rome, when Apostle Paul writes back to the people at at, uh, Colossae, he says that Epaphras has been praying for you. And this was Epaphras' prayer. He says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And that's my prayer this morning, is that we the lesson of the morning. I hope you've been I hope you've been uh, motivated to move in that in that direction. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you this morning, we'd be more than happy to do that as we stand and sing this whole thing this morning.